This is a classic podcast from Unqualified Gamers. Hear more at unqualifiedgamers.com. Do you want to do a video podcast? A video cast? We, that's a, not what it's called. A pod video? Or a video po- It is a video podcast. It is a video. That's literally what I just said. Right. But do you want to do that? Only if it will flip to whomever is talking loudest. It will rapidly oscillate between the two of us. Whether we're talking or not, I actually like that idea better. <laughs> yeah, not to be confused with Ocelot, who is a character in the Metal Gear in the Metal Gear series. Do you think it could do like a flip of because thir- actually, what would be awesome is if we could do a flip of like at a at a thirty frame per second flip, so fifteen frames of each of us in a thirty frame per second period, right? You mean and thirty so, FPS? And so it almost looks like we our faces would be superimposed, so it look like we're kind of talking at the same time. I literally stopped listening about a third of the way into that sentence you just said. I don't think you did. I, no, I don't I, think you literally did anything. I, I. I think I did literally do that. Anyway, point is... I'm Cody. And, uh, and I'm Jonathan. Really? Jonathan? John? I don't know. What, what do I go by? Who has ever called you Jonathan? Everybody but you, to be honest. Everybody but you guys. You, you, you I was like, not you, but you guys. I was using the like royal your, you. Your ten closest uh, friends. Right, my, my ten None closest. None of us f***ing call you Jonathan. You don't. None of you call me Jonathan. Your mom does call you Jonathan, My wife. She? My wife calls me Jonathan, too. Are you me? Are you serious? Are, are you kidding me? Like... It's very common, I think, for uh, spouses to use full names like that. I think that is a, a common thing. I thought spouses only use your full name when they're pissed at you. No, I mean, she'll, you know, there's always the pet name first. I mean, the, the pet name is always there. I guess the full name is used maybe for uh, like a more attention-grabbing type thing. Um, but yeah, I guess you're right. I guess it is more of a pet name first. What is Jonathan? No. What I'm called by my spouse. Which is Jonathan. Right. When she's addressing me by name, which now that I think about it, does not actually happen that often. Well, yeah, you live, I mean, if you live alone with one person, you're not going to, it's, it's not like an, not like an improv comedy scene where you walk into the room and you're like, hello, father, how are you today? Actually, that would be really funny though, if you just made up improv comedy scenes, but only for you who was in improv classes. Yeah, but that was before it got terrible, you're so a prof- I stopped. you're a professional improvisator. That's incorrect. Improvisator. I am a commercial actor who used to dabble in improv performance art. Right on. If that's what you want to call it. I didn't want to call it anything. So what did you do this weekend? Nothing. I literally did nothing. I went to Gen Con, same as you. No, that's not... No, that's not the way the date... Screw time. No, how so is it time work? doesn't time how is it doesn't work, John? time doesn't matter. How are we going to do this? You know what I did this weekend? Because tech, no, hold on, because we got to talk about this. This is the pink elephant in the room that I want to kill and sell its ivory for money, so I can buy more video games. Pink elephants are figurative. It's what you see when you're drunk, and there's no ivory because it's a figurative elephant. And if you have ever listened to this podcast, not before, a literal elephant. I never said it was literal. But if you've ever listened to this podcast before, you of all people should know that, of course, I'm drunk. Okay, so 
there's really not anything to talk about. We talk about what happened at the weekend before we record. I don't understand how this is an issue. But to the listener... Who, who the f*** cares about the listener? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, listener. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Who does care about the listener, John? We, we actually do care about the listener. The one listener for the show. Thank you for listening, by the way, listener. Yeah, and we do care about you. Yes, you. No, 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 not you. You... You. Yeah, and that's our way of retconning the entire last two minutes of the episode. Not by me editing it out or changing it at all, but just by telling you to forget what we just said. That right. seems legit to me. What did you do this weekend? It's not that exciting, but I did move a treadmill out of my house. And it I don't know if you know this about treadmills, just in general, but I think they weigh about 8,000 pounds. Really? Yeah. So, and I've got this house, I've got this kind of house where, and I don't think you've ever seen it, um, but it's it's a split level. So, like, you walk in the door, and then you can either go upstairs or downstairs, right? It's the same house you lived in when you got married, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, so you have seen it. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, yeah. so, like, you walk down the stairs, and it's a very narrow hallway, and you can turn right and go down another hallway to get to my main den downstairs, or you can turn left immediately and go into one bedroom or walk three feet, hang a left, and go into the second bedroom that's downstairs. Or you can walk six feet and go into the bathroom that's downstairs. Okay. But it, it the the amount of space there is is basically none. I mean, you have no space to maneuver furniture. So like getting getting any kind of furniture down there was such a pain in the ass that like we finally settled on recliners for the basement just because that was <laughs> the only thing that was going to fit down those damn stairs and around the hallway. Somehow. We got a f***ing treadmill down here in one of the bedrooms. I don't know who the hell decided that was a good idea, me, but it was um, eventually decided upon that we'd have a treadmill in, in one of our bedrooms downstairs. We got it down here with what I remember being zero problems. <laughs> like, I don't remember having any issue getting that damn treadmill down here. And maybe it's because I had a 260-pound, two rugby player. Oh, that guy. Yeah, maybe it's because... The guy I almost got in a fist fight with at your wedding. That guy, that's the one. Our wedding was great. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so maybe it's because I had him with me, and he was carrying 7,900 pounds of that 8,000 pounds of weight. Okay, yeah. Um, but I don't remember there being any issue at all. However, uh, on the return trip to get the treadmill back into the garage, somehow I managed to basically destroy one of my walls in the basement. <laughs> As the treadmill was hanging around the corner to go back up the stairs. Um, and again, I have no idea how the fuck we got it down here in the first place. I really don't. Because the amount of... It probably took us 40 minutes, me and one other guy, 40 minutes to move a treadmill 20 feet up wow. the garage. So yeah, that was that was my weekend. And so after that, we you know we're getting ready for the baby, so we like cleared out. We cleared out the, the what is to be the nursery, so we like moved the desk downstairs. So like my whole office changed. Um, it's no longer upstairs. I'm now downstairs. So now all of my products are in my cave, like down in the basement. No, so I've got my like TV and gaming PC out there, and then I've got my office and office PC in one of the bedrooms. Um, so now I've, I never have to leave the basement if I don't want to. Which is how men should live. Yeah, I just need a refrigerator down here somewhere. Although I, I, think, have, uh, I think my wife does want to see me occasionally. Well, yeah. I have a mini fridge if you want it. No, she probably wouldn't appreciate that. Uh, uh, she'd, she'd probably be, be upset with you. 
And you. She'd be upset it's, with you. It's Blake's. It would, she would still be upset with you. I don't care whose mini fridge it is. I don't want it. <laughs> You're doing a great job with it. Blake was our co-host on like our third or fourth or eighth episode or something. And his I used to live with him and his grandma got him his mini fridge in this grate. And then he's like, hey, can you hang out of this mini fridge? I have to move to Colorado real fast. And I don't have room to bring it with that's me. A, but my, that's a tough position to be in because now, you, sure. now it's like I can't get rid of this because I was just told to hang on to it. Because it's his grandma's fridge. Well, that is – I mean, it's not, but it's, it's like, he's like, yeah, my grandma gave it to me, so there's like sentimental value, even though she's still alive, and this was like five years ago. I think, I think one of, I don't think there's a requirement for sentimental value to be placed on an object only if the person that gave you that object is dead, by the way. I don't think that okay. that, that is not a prerequisite for sentimental <laughs> that's value. Fair. All right, that's fair. That is not a prerequisite. But it, still, now I have this mini fridge and I can't get rid of it, and that's great, but like, I live alone. Uh, yeah, so now you've got a fridge and a mini fridge. That's like double the fridge. I pull it out at parties. That's cool for beer. It's like a beer fridge. Sentimental parties? Have, why would I have a sentimental party? Because you're dead? Have you been listening to anything I've been saying? I tuned you out a long time ago. No, Actually, it's funny you should bring that up. I had a sentimental party last weekend. That's what I did this weekend. Really? No. No, I think I ate alone at one point. Uh, did a radio show. Oh, I debuted in a web series. Oh, did you? What, what's what's your web series about? You know, I actually I actually watched the first episode, but you can let the listen the, our listener, the one listener, know uh, about the web series. Who's also probably watched the web series at this point? But go ahead and let the listener know. Well, I did post it on a Google Plus page, which has a lot of activity. It, by the it way, it does exist. Like 130 people have clicked the plus one button on our page. That's great. I don't know what that means. I don't either because we just started using Google Plus. But it seems like a lot of people. Sure. It's, or, or whatever. It might have been me 130 times. Damn it, John. Uh, I was anyway, excited. I know. Uh, it's called Arts and Crafts a Web Series. It's really hard to find unless you go to the Facebook page or Twitter account and look for the links. Or our Google Plus page. Sure. Because um, Arts and Crafts is – apparently a lot of YouTube videos have that same name because it's a phrase. It is a phrase. Uh, but it's it's basically about a girl that transfers to a new college and they're, they're studying film and theater and artsy stuff and it's about how she adjusts and whatever. And I thought the first episode was pretty funny. I actually thought the first episode was funny too. Your character uh, reminds me of a very standard stereotype. Oh, of gamer? Uh, no, not not necessarily of a gamer. Of just like the overzealous but clueless like leader of an organization. Like I feel not- like I've seen, and it's there's nothing wrong with that being a character. I'm saying I have seen the character before, though. Like I totally understood your character, totally recognized what you were going for, and you did a very good job. Well, that is, thank you. I, honestly, I thought I was one of the weakest uh, actors in the whole thing. I thought uh, the rest of the cast, some of them were. Legitimately impressed me. They literally impressed me. That's Can a, I say literally there? That's impressive that they impressed you. I'm impressed. So yeah, that was actually. You know, I I did watch that and I liked it. Well, they, I'm glad I'm glad you were you're entertained by it. Like I'm I'm not telling people to watch it just for me because it's not like it's an ensemble cast. It's not like the Cody Show or anything. Um, I've got a part. I think I do all right in it. But I think overall it's funny. So I I tell people about things that are funny. Yeah. Well, of the of the 14 minutes, I probably only fast forwarded about seven of them. So I watched at That's least. That's not bad. I, mean, I watched at least 50 percent. 
And yet you watched a higher percent of Dance Dance Revolution, The Warrior's Path. Yeah, that wasn't a very good movie at all. But you should plug that. Again, hey, listener, go to YouTube.com no. and search for Dance Dance Revolution, The Warrior's Path. You want people to continue to listen to the show. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Dance Dance Revolution, The Warrior's Path also played in a double feature at Gen Con this past weekend. Oh, that's right. I wish nobody knew about it. Which hasn't happened yet. Yeah, that's the space-time continuum. This is what I'm talking about. It's fine. The whole podcast takes place within a paradox. That's fine. Uh, uh, we, sh- we should at some point uh, inform the listener that they're listening to Unqualified, a video game podcast. Right, a video game podcast. So this is Unqualified, as Cody just said, a video game podcast. A podcast where two guys that are not really qualified to talk about video games talk about video games. As you can tell. Um, yeah, and treadmills and web series. And that treadmill. I Worst decision I ever made. Worst decision I ever made. Really? No, there's far worse. But uh, it, was a bad de- it was a bad decision. It was a bad decision. I was going to say, I can remember at least four worst decisions you've made. It was a bad decision I've made. So, okay. um, won't put a treadmill, I think, in a house that doesn't have giant open rooms again and in fact i'll probably never I, i'll probably never put a treadmill in the house again because i can't run i can't run Why? because i'm horrible at it and even when i try to get good at it i'm horrible at it and will stay horrible at it running is the worst you know what I've been it doing? Is, is the, the worst it is the absolute worst no i know i literally just said that you did just say that i agreed with you i reiterated your point i hate it when you try to have conversations with me what do you think this is? I don't really know how to respond to that. Ha <laughs> ha! Tricked you! Listen, speaking of video games, what you should do is try the German body composition workout. Okay. Just Google it. Trust me. I'll post a link to it, listener. I'll also post a link to treadmills.com so you can be like John. Are all Germans, like, ripped? Like, is this, like... I guess, is that what we're going for here? A, no, speaking of German ripped, I just, I have been farting so bad. Is that your d- While we're... <laughs> I hate you. Oh, what are we talking about? Do you have anything interesting to say? I've got a ton of interesting things to in say. I want, I want you to tell me. Well, then I'll start. Is that what you were going with that? That's exactly what I was going for. I want you to tell me about your interesting things that have happened in your video game life. Oh, my God. All right. So, have you played The Last of Us yet? No. Dude. God damn it, I, John. I keep getting involved with other games. Stop. And life. Stop it. Stop my life? Yes. And play The Last of Us. It's only like 20 hours, tops. That seems like a really long time. I thought that game was like seven. Nino Kuni was like 140 hours. It was. It took a really long time. You played it in a week. A very long week. Okay, well, have a long week or a day and play The Last of Us. Okay. And stream it because so it's really good. Now that we are past The Last of Us, what do you, what do you have to say? We're not... Or did you want to talk about The Last of Us? Because I'm okay with talking I, I about I want to talk about it, but I want to wait for you to play it. Um, I'm, I'm dying to... to... You want to spoil the shit out of it. You, you kind of <sighs> want to talk about it in a spoiler sense. Is that... Is that fair? Not so much as spoiler sense, but the thing is, there are so many discoveries in that game, and there are so many underlying themes that you see unfold 
that I want you to see them unfold. I don't want to say, hey, this is the recurring theme of the game, and then you kind of expect it. Okay. Uh, because it's kind of lame. But it, it is by far the best voice acting I have ever heard in any video game ever. By far, by far, far, far. Some of the most interesting characters um, and had one or two of the most legitimately shocking moments I have ever seen in a video game. I don't know if one of them was the opening, but that certainly was a fantastic moment, I think, for me. And was, That's right, you did play the open. Uh, that, I, I forgot about very that. Very unexpected to me, so that was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, so, listener, yeah. Uh, from the get-go, The Last of Us is not your typical game. Uh, it, it ignores and avoids a lot of video game tropes, which I think is good. Um, and for you feminists out there, because I know that a lot of our listeners are feminists. They are, all of them. Obviously. But honestly, though, if you do know any feminists or girls that complain about games not having enough strong female characters or whatever, blah, 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 have them play The Last of Us. If they can get through the scary parts, every every female character is written incredibly strong. Uh, the f***-ups are generally the guys in the game. Um yeah, you you absolutely. I mean, it puts Joss Whedon to shame, and he he writes strong female characters as a general rule. So uh, there's that random component of the game that I'm sure nobody ever talks about. Uh, but yeah, it's um, it is it is legitimately I think one of the best stories I've ever played in a video game. Scary as shit, dude. Five point one surround sound for a horror survival game. Yeah, which is great. I mean, that is a reason in itself. I think for me to to kind of pick it up and and explore it. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Um, but yeah, get more into it. Uh, it's it's a good, good, good game. Um, I've been playing some other stuff that I will not spoil uh, because they're older games. But what did you play? We'll go to you now. Your turn. Um. So I I was all prepared to sit down and talk about Tomb Raider. Really? And I'll talk about it. Um. But first, I want to talk about a game that I just... It was on my Steam list. I, I don't know when I picked it up. I picked it up maybe... Fuck, I'd have to check. It's been forever. It's just been sitting in my Steam library for a really long time. Um, and I finally had a few, like, hours to string together, like, of, of solid gaming I could do. I had one night off, and then I had the following, like, morning off, morning and afternoon off, which gave nice. me, like, a nice period of time in which I could play games. And so I was like, I'm going to boot this up and see what it is. Because I remember there being a huge buzz about it. And the game that I played was Bastion. Now this game came out in like... Oh. This game came out in like 2008. Um, 2008? It might have been 2008 or 2009. It's definitely an older game. Um, it's uh, might be actually 2010 or 11, actually, now that I think about it. It doesn't matter. It's by a company called Supergiant Games. This is the first game out of this company. This game has this company has not made a single other game yet. They did, oh. they did announce another game that was at E3 this year, but this was their first game. So it's a company called Supergiant Games. Um, seven people developed it. I did a little research on it because I was really interested after I finished playing it. I was like, how did this game... How is a game of this quality like made... As at an indie level, which should give you some idea of how I feel about this game. Um, so, but yeah, it was like seven people that made it, and then it like hit publisher and all that kind of stuff afterwards. Um, so the credits are much longer than seven people, but yeah, seven seven developers of the game, um, and then one person that they like 
outsourced the music to. So, um, again, the game was called Bastion, and it's a it's an action RPG, uh, isometric, top down perspective, like beautiful two D sprites. It reminded me a lot of. Um, I know you played Seeker of Mana, but did you ever play the game Legend of Mana for PlayStation? No, I did not. It's not a good game, but it was pr- it was very pretty. Like the it was a very just beautiful game. Like it was almost like I think it were watercolored um ba- like backgrounds mm-hmm. and then really just vivid colorful sprites. That's what this game reminded me of. So, you've got your character, you're just called the kid. You don't have a name. Um just a dude and you just wake up in a bed and there's a narrator talking over you, talking over everything that you do. And you notice this immediately because you, the narrator is like, kid gets up, gets out of bed, like walks around, finds his trusty friend. When you like walk up and you see a, a big mallet, that, that's like your first weapon that you find in the game. Um, so throughout the entire game, the narrator is, is narrating over you. Um, but the game is, is just, again, top down, isometric, 2D action RPG, really tight controls. Like, it's very apparent that they were going for uh, combat mechanics first. Like, there's a there's a major emphasis placed on the action of the game. Uh, because all of the story elements are given to you by the narrator while you're doing other stuff. Like, there's basically no break in... in if, if you're not killing something or attacking something you're at least moving around so like there's pretty much never a time where you're not in control of the kid doing something or between screens loading and then all of the story is then fed to you through the narrator which makes Um, sense right over the top of that and to give you a reference point I played the demo of Bastion on Xbox Live over a year ago okay it didn't blow me away because our friend Will was insisting. He was just like, oh, you got to play Bastion. It's so good. It's so good. And I played the demo, and I was like, okay, it's you hit things. It didn't blow me away. I liked the narration. I loved the art style. But I'm, yeah. I'm curious to what continue. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the, the gameplay is basically like you wake up. You don't really know what's going on. You start moving through this world. And as you're moving, the world is like building around you. Um, it's it's not randomly generated or anything. I mean, they're set levels, but you don't kind of know where you're going until you move close to where you're supposed to go, and then the ground forms underneath you. Um, the narrator starts telling you about some horrible event called the Calamity that occurred and basically just destroyed the entire world. Um, and the first 10 minutes of the game are just working through the first environment, kind of getting used to the controls, getting used to the enemies a little bit, and how you're going to move, how you're going to roll. Um, they're, they even go so far as to tell you, and I don't know how into like action games you are, but they go so far as to tell you in one of the loading screens as a hint that you can cancel out of your roll using an attack. So that for anybody that's into any action games that would let you know that would be an indicator immediately what kind of action game this is it's a game that is intending to give you complete control over your movements uh, i say that as opposed to a game like dark souls where once you commit to a movement you have to complete that action before you can do another action yeah. so like you're able to cancel out of out of your out of different actions in this game which is very important um it sets the game apart from maybe another type of action game um, so anyway, you're moving through this first area and eventually you find your way to the, just what you know as the bastion. Um, and 
there you meet the narrator whose name is Rux, and the narrator's just got this great kind of smoky that's that's the only adjective I can really think of for his voice. He's got this kind of like smoky um western style voice. Yes, I do remember that. He was, he was a good narrator. Um, the voice yeah, his he's wonderful. Um I didn't I like right away I wasn't drawn to him, but as uh as it continued, as the um, game continued. I I started to really really enjoy his narration, um, and the writing for him is wonderful. Um, so anyway, you meet him, and you get introduced to the Bastion, and the Bastion has buildings that you can use to like upgrade different stuff. Like you can, you've got six different buildings you can build, um, and you can build them basically in any order you want. Um, and they they give you the ability to like do static upgrades for your character. They give you the ability to change your weapon loadout, upgrade your weapons, um, put on shrines that make the game harder for bonuses. Um, so there's like a lot of different stuff you can do in the Bastion. And it's also where basically all of the background story is told to you because you'll find items that each of the characters in the Bastion can give you background on. Um, so... And it's just the narr- it's just the narrator really in the bastion. So like you'll get an item and you'll go up to the narrator and he'll tell you about that item and then he'll give you background about like the race of people that that item was from or or something like that. Um, so I was playing the game and and it starts off pretty good. You get two weapons right away and you'll always have two weapons with you, um, and they're fun. Uh, and then you get like special abilities too that that take up magic potions. Um, that you can like replenish as you're playing and and then you start to unlock more weapons and like and then you unlock more weapons and you unlock more weapons and you unlock more weapons and eventually you get to the end and you you realize you've got like nine weapons and you at you could at any time really change them and have a two weapon loadout and all of those weapons have an upgrade tree so I was getting like the feeling as I was playing this and especially as I kept unlocking these weapons that like you could play this game a hundred times with a different loadout of weapons and it would feel totally different because all of the weapons feel super different, like super different. So I'm thinking Secret of Mana and those weapons are different. Yeah, but but in Secret of Mana, it was still X button slashes. It does like the attack of the weapon. Like these weapons all have like a different just modus operandi, right? Like just a different way of being used completely. Like the hammer, you hit the attack button and you'll do swift attacks. You can then do a roll and hit the attack button. And they, they don't tell you this, but it'll do like an uppercut slash. If you wait to attack, you basically do like a downward overhead smash. And you just kind of learn that as you're playing as you're playing with the hammer. Okay. Um, there's a fang repeater, which is a two. They're basically two pistols that are that are automatics. And with the fang repeater, you have to stop and plant your feet when you fire them. But then when you reload them, you can move as you're reloading. But then when any, whenever you fire them, you have to stop and plant your feet. But you just hold down the button to fire. This, in contrast to some pistols you get later that fire each time you press the fire button, but you can move as you're aiming them. Sure. So, like, that's that's a very significant difference into how you use these two different weapons. And then, like, one of the upgrades for those two pistols will be you move faster while you're aiming. So it gives you, like, way more mobility as a ranged weapon. 
Um, so, like, the weapons just... Unlike Secret of Mana, where, you know, you could charge up the weapons, they'd all do, like, different attacks. It was still the same... You still use the same, like, attack button every time. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so, but the, but the coolest thing about all of those weapons is that the narrator... The narrator has, like, specific story beats that he hits when he's talking. So, like, you'll go through areas. He'll give you some background on the area a lot of the time. He'll just talk to you about about the past of those areas, like what your people used that area for, that kind of thing. So you'll, you'll like learn about the areas that way. So he's got set dialogue, but then he's got dynamic emergent dialogue that occurs too, that they've recorded for, and they've put a lot of, a a lot of extra dialogue in for. And there is no greater example of this to me than when you leave the armory in the bastion where you, you pick two weapons, then you leave. And those are the weapons you're going to go into the next level with. Every time I did that, if I picked two different weapons, he has a dialogue for those specific, that specific loadout of two weapons. Really? Yeah. So, and it's just, it's just a little throwaway thing. It's a one sentence thing, but I noticed it right away. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, they have put so much thought into that, that they were willing to to record dialogue for every single one of those possibilities. Yeah. Uh, so it just, it gives you an idea of kind of the care that's been put into making this game. Um, the combat, super tight. Like, super tight combat. Um, awesome action RPG combat. Um as far as as far as so the the gameplay is good i will say that like the weapons you get uh, the upgrades make the weapons really good so really good okay um and you can pretty much play the game with any weapons you want like it doesn't feel like there are weapons you absolutely have to use for certain areas and what that did lead me to to do was i basically found a loadout that i really liked and then I didn't experiment after that. So if I had a criticism of the of the way their weapon system worked, that's that would be what it what it was. Was that it just didn't it didn't it didn't encourage me to like try out all the different weapons because and especially the the kind of the kind of the bigger bummer was that you'd upgrade one weapon like three or four times and then you'd find a new weapon that would be completely non-upgraded and it would feel so weak. <laughs> compared to these other weapons. Sure. So, I mean, I think that was kind of a missed opportunity because they could have fostered a lot more experimentation, I think, uh, had they changed that system up a little bit. But but overall, the combat system is wonderful. And, like, if you want to, if you seek out that experimentation, you could have a ton of fun with the different weapon combinations. Um, and the combat stays really good throughout. Like, just really consistently great throughout the game so that was just a total surprise at how great that combat was um really enjoyed that the real thing that surprised me was the story of the game and i i honestly don't want to talk a lot about it because it goes in a direction that i was completely uh i was not anticipating at all and i actually streamed my entire playthrough of the game in two days oh so that's actually that's actually on our twitch page if you go to our Twitch page, and it's got me talking over the entire game, but like you, you can hear me be very surprised, like as the game progresses, especially near the end of the game, as to where the game goes. Um, it just does a lot of really interesting things for a very cartoony art style dealing with the adult themes that it ends up dealing with. 
uh, is very interesting to me. It reminded me a little of Braid in that sense. Or Final Fantasy Tactics. Sure. I guess. Final Fantasy Tactics? Cartoony, yeah. super-deformed, pixelated sprites talking about a conspiracy within the church and people being yeah. murdered brutally and <laughs> overthrown kingdom. Dude, Final Fantasy Tactics is like the video game version of Game of Thrones. Sure, but then it's got, like, Zodiac monsters, so it's that's not... monsters, but outside of that fantasy element, I, I feel like the art style lends itself to less serious topics than it yeah tells. and and this definitely has that going on especially and and the, the especially when you've got things like like the enemies names are windbags <laughs> um uh stink eyes like stuff like that so like it the game the game does a bunch to not take itself seriously and then it the story just takes some very serious turns to it so it's uh the, and again i don't want to talk at all about the story because the this, this story was probably my favorite thing about the game even after all that great combat stuff the story is probably my favorite thing about the game and uh and it's it it was unexpected to me now i can't continue uh i can't finish up without talking about the music because the music is uh amazing done by one dude um, don't I can't remember his name, but it was just done by one guy, and the the you know the main character's name is the kid. I I told you the main character kind of has a, or the the narrator kind of has like a westerny sounding voice. Yeah. Um. And the music feels like a western movie, like a a kind of a, a kind of like one of a, a darker western movie type. Um, a lot of acoustic guitar, a lot of acoustic guitar, um, a couple vocal tracks with these really just like haunting melodies. Um, it's it's amazing. Like you should just boot up the title screen of that game and just listen to that because that gives you a super great flavor of the type of music that you're in store for when you play the game. The, the title screen music is awesome. Um, and again, it's another thing I just noticed right away. And I was like, holy sh**, if the music sounds like this through the whole game, and it does, it's going to be awesome. And then the vocal tracks, there's uh, there's just a few of them, but they're used incredibly effectively. And they're not, they're used in a way where like the character is a parent of them. So they're, they're the type of music that's going on in the game world itself. Um, but super good. I mean, it won... You know, there's no standard of award, but it won. It had like best song and best soundtrack that year, um, so definitely something worth checking out. Yeah, it sounds is like the, it is the Bastion soundtrack. Um, and overall, like I did not. It was a game. It was one of those types of games where I was like, ah, I'm gonna boot this up, see what it is. I've heard good things about it. Never had a chance to like check it out. Here we go. Um, sat down, played it for like two hours the first night and then played it for like five the next day to completion like i could not put it down nice yeah and the pacing's great like the levels are anywhere from eight to like 20 minutes per area they've got um these areas called proving grounds where they are to showcase the specific weapons and like you go in and you'll have different objectives depending on the weapon whether it be kill a certain number of enemies in a certain amount of time destroy a number of targets in the least number of shots if it's like the bow um 
just to give you an idea of what each of the weapons can do. And that at least gives you an idea. That lets you play with each of the weapons, even if you don't end up using them in the main story. Um, and then it's got these other areas called... Uh, it's, it's like middle, middle of nowhere or who knows where. Um, and there are a couple of specific story beats during the game where it's just background on some of the characters as you're fighting waves of enemies. And those pieces of story were some of my favorites. While you were fighting enemies? Yeah, well, so it'll be like a wave of an enemy and then you'll get some story. And then another wave of enemies will come down and then the narrator will give you more story. That kind of thing. Well, now my interest so, is Pete. Yeah, it's... It's honestly, and it's it's a short experience. I probably could have beaten it even faster had I not done, you know, if you watch the if you watch the stream, you can see me. I like go back and do some of the proving grounds once or twice or three times even because you win awards out of them. You can win upgrades for other weapons and stuff. Sure. So, um, but yeah, the game is awesome, and you can get it for a song on Steam during any of their sales where they, they have it going on, because I want to say it's normally like 15 bucks, and I know I picked it up for like 3 Yeah, I it was one of the things you could vote on during the Steam summer sale. I voted on it, but then I went to bed, so I don't know if they chose it at that point, but I didn't get it. It's on my wish list now, though. Xbox 360 demo did not do a lot for me. It just felt like, okay, I run forward and I hit stuff. So it's really refreshing to know that the combat gets more interesting than that, and the story is that good. And this, the story the story is definitely ends up being, for me, the showcase, because it's not... it. Yeah, again, you just don't... I just did not see it um, going to where it went. So it was... Uh, was really good. I was really a big surprise. And I said I was going to sit down and talk about Tomb Raider, like I said, but I just ended up getting just so absorbed in Bastion, and I just played all of that, and I couldn't stop, and it was right, awesome. Well, we can talk about Tomb Raider in the next episode. We I, What I'm planning is an unfinished business episode, where we talk about, where we I, talk about the... Do I really have to talk about Tomb Raider? Did you not like it? I should talk. I should, I should talk right, about we'll Tomb talk Raider about it sometime. But because we still have yet to talk about the Bioshock Infinite ending... Oh, that's true. That is something I we need to talk about. I want to follow up on a couple of mobile games we recorded it forever ago, like 10 episodes ago. Uh, and I want to talk about The Last of Us whenever you've beaten it. Sure. So basically you're saying our, our, these, this wrap-up episode is going to be at a, like a seven-hour long affair uh, that we're going to post. All right. I see how this goes. Wait. The, the what's going to be a seven-hour affair? This, this wrap-up episode that you want to that you want to record. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah, going to be like much. a seven-hour-long episode. I, I thought you were talking about wrapping up this episode. I'm like, no, no, no. I just said a different episode. So wait, so we're finishing the episode, listener. Thank you so much. That's <laughs> literally not what I said. Okay. So so that was my gaming experience, uh, like, over the over – the, it actually wasn't over the weekend. It was during the week, but again, because of my w- weird work schedule that I've you got. You lying bastard. Uh, but it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Super, super great. So, that- or should I say, our lying bastion? So, what did you play? I didn't play it this weekend, but I'd also like to talk about something of a bastion that I demoed at E3 this year. Sure. Uh, is that the never-ending story? Was Atreyu in it? Who? What about Felcor, the luck dragon? Bastion was the main character of Neverending Story. What's wrong with you? Were you not a child? Is that a book? Oh, uh, okay. Continue. Listener, I know Neverending Story is a movie. Thank you. And good night. Yeah, so what did you play at E3? No, we're ending it there. I stopped recording.
You didn't. What did you? Ha ha! Just kidding. The listener knows I was kidding because you can hear me. Uh, at E3, I demoed a game that uh, listener. When you hear this podcast, this game will be out, and it's called Dive Kick. I'm gonna add. Uh, I'm gonna add reverb to that. Does it have to be said like that? Dive Kick. I think that's the only way you can say that. The name actually. Okay. okay. So, Dive Kick. Uh, if you've not heard of this game, go to YouTube right now and search for it. Search for the Dive Kick trailer. Uh, this is another game that's the first game by its studio. Comes right out of Chicago. There's a small um, publisher in Chicago that created this game, and it is a caricature of fighting games. Uh, it's completely over the top and ridiculous. Uh, so, listener and John, you know what a dive kick is. It's like in all the Ninja Turtles arcade. Isn't it, isn't side- it just a? Isn't it just a jump where you then kick and it makes you like? In any video game, it's a kick where, for some reason, you accelerate when you kick, right? Out of yeah, the air? Yeah, yeah. The most specific example, because growing up, I remember the Ninja Turtles, the Turtles 2 game, the Turtles 4, the arcade game, uh, or, uh, Turtles in Time, I mean. All the Ninja Turtles games, when you jump up and then you hit the attack button, you descend at a 45-degree angle quickly uh, with one leg particularly extended, and that's what they're defining as a dive kick. Okay. But this also applies to many fighting games. Uh, it applies to, yeah, really a lot of arcade games uh, do this. Um, you know, the Simpsons game kind of does it. The X-Men game kind of does it. Uh, but the, the best example is that this That's a standard games. move. It's like a standard move for a, brawler, for a brawler genre. Yeah. So uh, they really explain it very concisely in, in the trailer. If you watch the original trailer, it's about six minutes that they released like a year or more. They released it a while back, okay? And it instantly became a hit in the fighting game community. Uh, And I'll tell you why. Uh, But basically, there are... The shtick is, we're not going to make a complicated game with a bunch of names like Hyper, Turbo, Neo, Ultra, Finish 3, or anything like that, which makes fun of the Street Fighter titles, obviously. We're not going to have complicated controls and you memorize moves and stuff like that. We're not going to have 30 different characters with different abilities. There are two buttons, no joystick or analog stick, two characters, which has later been... There have been more added, but I'm originally sorry, two characters. I'm sorry, you said two buttons? Two buttons. So, like... And then you said no joystick? No joystick or analog stick. The entire game is literally played with two buttons. Two buttons. So how do you move? You, on the character select screen, one button strolls to the next character, and the other button selects that character. (laughs) Okay, okay, I don't, I guess I didn't mean how do you select your character, of which there are two. Uh, There are more now. The, The official release, I believe, is going to have 13 characters. And uh, the build that I played had additional characters. Okay, was, so, so I didn't mean how do you select your character or move the cursor. I meant how do you move towards the opponent because <laughs> there's no joystick. It sounds so ludicrous. So I demoed this at E3. It sounds stupid and it sounds ridiculous because the other thing I haven't mentioned is every attack does one billion damage, which means that you kill in one hit no matter what every time. Because it's a dive kick, and dive kicks are awesome. So basically you're just trying to not get hit? Yep. 
Okay. So, uh, the two buttons are dive and kick. If you tap the dive button, your character does a short hop backwards. If you tap it? If you tap it. Okay. If you want to move forward slightly, then you just do a short dive kick. So that's how you move back and forth. Oh. <laughs> it sounds absolutely ridiculous. It sounds terrible, and I... So, uh, Sony had... They had the, the creators of Dive Kick uh, standing around at Sony's booth because this is a Sony PlayStation 3 and Vita exclusive. I, as of E3, they were talking about bringing it to PC. So, listen, I don't know if by the time you listen to this, if it will be available for Steam or available on PC, but, but for sure PS3 and PS Vita. Um, and not as a full price game, obviously. Uh, it's not does not have that much depth. It's got like uh, it's going to be probably a ten or fifteen or twenty dollar game at the most. Uh, they were still negotiating price points at E three as well, but um, Sony had it set up uh, next. It was set up with the giant arcade uh, console, this custom console they made for it, and it's literally two giant buttons that you just press. Uh, they aren't sure if that's going to be available commercially. They're thinking of either doing a Kickstarter for it or looking into some other funding, but they uh, officially that arcade pad is not going to be available as a V3. But, of course, this is months later. Who knows if they've had it approved yet. So I played it on that. But anyway, they had it set up next to uh, a bunch of PlayStation Vitas, right? And they were demoing, like, you know, like a hundred different stations where you could go play games. Uh, No one was even playing the Vita a lot of people were playing the PS3 and PS4 games surrounding it, but Divekick had a line the entire convention, the entire time, of like maybe 10 or 15 people. It was never gigantic compared to some of the games, like the hour-long week to demo the Xbox One, but people really liked playing this game. And I went and I demoed it, and it was the only game, I think, where I went back and demoed it a second time. Because, well, first of all, the demo didn't last very long, and second of all, John, it is so stupidly fun. Now, you mentioned that it had become big in the... It sounds like it could be fun because you're on a pretty even playing field, and it kind of sounds like something that anybody should be able to play, or is that not accurate? No. Oh, I lost uh, five matches in a row when I first played. So there is a significant level of skill there, is what you're saying. Yeah, because it's all about timing and psyching the opponent out, and we need to have our friend Guy on this podcast at some point because he is he knows more about fighting games than you or I may know about video games in general. Like, his knowledge... The amount of depth that the fighting game community has in their gaming is outrageous. Sure absolutely outrageous like just just for me going to uh melee fc the largest smash brothers tournament in the world like 10-ish years ago uh and learning all of the nuances of smash brothers melee which isn't even designed to be a fighting game by design uh you know these these other games are really deep uh dive kick they, they added some variety in the characters and that brings the uh the depth to the game for example, I played as a character whose kicks don't actually do damage, uh, but he leaves a trail of lightning behind him when he kicks, and the lightning does damage. Does it so, do a billion damage? Of course it does. Uh, so the object of my character, and they said it was the worst character to do on my first play session, and that's probably why I lost five matches in a row, but his idea is you want to go ahead of the opposing character and anticipate that they jump into your lightning, basically. 
So it's like a different type of skill there. There are other characters, certain uh, characters dive with steeper dives than others. Some have more horizontal dives. Mine had a pretty horizontal dive, actually. Uh, some have different short hop lengths. Okay, it's 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 jumping, right? You it's jump. just called diving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay, okay. No, no, it's fine. No, no, no. Keep saying dive because that's the that's the vernacular the they want you to use. Yeah, and that's fine. I just want to be clear, right? That it it's just a it's a jump, right? Dive means jump. Dive means jump. Yes, <laughs> but that's, okay. <laughs> so I, I so see the, the two things. For some reason, yes. for some reason, the two words mean opposites in my on my head, and they don't mean opposites. <laughs> Because when you're on a diving board, you have to jump to dive off the diving board. But See, still, exactly, but still, exactly. in my head, for some reason, when you dive, you go down, and when you jump, you go up. Like, it's I a understand. Video, video game thing. All right, so you, you're diving. So you dive up or dive forward. Yes. Well, no, you always dive up, pretty much straight up. Maybe certain characters dive slightly forward, but I think they all dive straight up. Uh, but um, the difference is in how high the characters dive slash jump, uh, what angles they kick, and um, that's pretty much it. And that's dive kick. And it sounds really simple. And it sounds like you would get bored really, really quickly. But, like, if I had a party and I had 10 or 12 people, I would bust the hell out of this game. Because you get this... You play a lot of Smash Brothers. Yeah. I played a lot of Smash Brothers. You know that little rush of adrenaline you get when you get into sudden death? Oh, for sure. You know, because you don't even, you don't ever know what's coming. You know, it's like time or whatever, and then suddenly, sudden death, and then within a second, you've got to figure. All right, next person to get hit dies. Right? It's that adrenaline rush times five because you have to win five matches to beat your opponent. And it's not best of five; it's five. It's you play up to ten, up to nine matches, I guess. Uh, per per round or whatever. It's not like Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat where you have to win two out of three or. Yeah, two out of three. This is, you have to win five out of nine. Uh, but you get that rush the whole time. And because it's so frantic, because you can, you can be, um, if you think about it, if you're just alternating dive and kick over and over again, so you're doing a bunch of really short kicks, but then suddenly you jump up really high, you're being unpredictable. And the other guy is just like, is he going to jump high? Is he going to kick me? Is he going to kick the ground? Where is he well, going? Well, he's probably going to kick because that's the only move you have in the game. So there's a good chance... That the opponent is going to kick. I really... I was going to say, I really hope they have a demo of this available on PlayStation, but if you have the demo, that's pretty much the game. Oh, for sure. Um, Now, you said that this had... I mean, it sounds... Okay, so it sounds stupid fun. Like, it sounds like stupid fun. Yeah. You said that it has picked up some traction in the fighting game community? Apparently... Apparently, um, they they demoed it at a bunch of conventions and people loved it, and that's why that's why Sony picked it up because there was so much interest from all these random people. Is it because of this this depth like behind it? Yeah, absolutely. It's because that, that doesn't seem like it's there, but is actually there. Yeah, it's one of those deceptively simple, easy to learn, hard to master kind of things. It's pretty f***ing easy to learn. Now, listener, something you may not know about this game is this game started as a Kickstarter campaign and got a bunch of funding and then got picked up by a publisher, so the Kickstarter came down. I don't know of many other cases where that has happened. Yeah. Um, but that is the history of this game. So it actually started as a crowdfunding project, but then acquired a publisher during that, that Kickstarting time period. 
Yeah. And so anybody anybody that had pledged obviously didn't their money didn't go anywhere because the publisher is fitting the bill for it now. And it's funny you mention that because I didn't know that until just before we started recording. When I was searching for the dive kick uh, like release trailer, I stumbled over this viral marketing video that one of the creators made. And it's uh, the creator. One of the creators is standing there, just like in a t-shirt, in a in a like trampoline place. I don't know what they're called. They have this place in the suburbs of Chicago where you can go, and there's a bunch of trampolines. Basically, do you know what I'm talking about? Is there anything like that in Minnesota? You know, I've heard of them, but it sounds. Uh, I don't understand what you use that. What do you use that place for? Sex? You just jump up and down on trampolines for a long time. So it's not sex? I don't think so. I feel like that'd be a good thing to rent the thing out for. I think it'd be a good thing for sex as well, but only if they're having group sex. If there's yeah, only well, like a big swingers party or something. I'd be fine with that. Let's right. do it. Okay. All right. so, okay, so they were at a sex trampoline so they were party. At a sex tramp- no, he's in, a, he's in this trampoline building, and, and there's some people uh, bouncing around a trampoline with ping pong balls taped to him, like uh, mocaps. And the uh, the publisher, one of the guys, when the publisher is like, "Yeah, we decided, you know, we got to get mocaps. I want them to look like real dives. None of this floating around. I don't want any of that crap flailing, freaking line dancing or whatever. You be diving over there." And the, the the creator of the game is just shaking his head, and he's like, "Yeah, the publisher picked this up, and I was at first excited, but this feels like a big waste of money." Yeah, I don't know. I, uh, maybe we just shouldn't have canceled that Kickstarter. <laughs> and that's, like, how I learned that, uh, it came out of a Kickstarter. But, uh, it was a really funny video, so check out the, the I don't remember the name of the company offhand, but, um... It sounds like they've got a pretty good sense of humor. They've got an amazing sense of humor, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the launch trailer is ludicrous, and I'll have that on a Google Plus page and our Tumblr page. Um, it's so ludicrous. You just have to watch it, and all their videos are funny, and I I hope it's successful, and I think it will be. I really do. Like, John, I cannot think of a more fun party game. I cannot think of a group of guy friends that I have that wouldn't love playing this. It seems, I mean, with two buttons, anybody, even though there's, like you said, there's a lot of nuance there, anybody can at least figure out that there's two buttons, right? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and the the possibilities for adults, like using it as a drinking game, good lord. I feel like the hardest thing would be recognizing that you don't move your character. <laughs> like, because I, I think anybody would have the default thumb on, on the joystick position, right? True. And then the other hand. So, like, no matter what, you'd, whatever. It just seems, it seems fucking outrageous. It seems ridiculous it, and it awesome. It seems totally outrageous, but the, the reason I wanted to talk about it on the podcast is because it was one of the most fun things I played at E3. Sure. Sometimes less is more. Sometimes less is more. Listener, you get you get deep pieces of advice on this show. That doesn't just that doesn't just apply to video games. I don't know if you know this, but less is more can apply to life. We're teaching you life lessons here. Edutainment. Less, less is more. Less is more. So there you uh, go. Right on. Okay, so that was another thing you saw at E3, which is awesome. Yeah. So what did you play? <laughs> I played it. No, I mean, what did you play last week? Did you play anything last week? Oh, I've been play- I've been making my way through the Metal Gear, uh, the Metal Metal Gear Legacy Collection, as I mentioned earlier, um, and it's going pretty well. I I want to kind of catch up to myself. Like as of this recording, I'm in the middle of Metal Gear Solid for PlayStation, but I want to kind of catch up to myself a little bit 
before I talk about those the retro games because I did play the the original Metal Gear, uh, which is on the MSX computer system, which I had not ever heard of before. Okay. But I was because I, I was playing through Metal Gear, and I got to this point where I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know where to go, and so I was googling Metal Gear um, walkthroughs, and all these YouTube videos started out the game differently than the version I was playing, and I got really confused. So I had to specify Metal Gear MSX. Apparently, Metal Gear for the NES was a port that was not. Um, I don't want to say authorized, but it wasn't supervised by Hideo Kojima, the creator of the series. Uh, he had nothing to do with the the NES port whatsoever, and it was kind of an atrocity. Crazy as stuff happened back then in the wild west of video games, yeah. like because because there there was no like standard for digital rights and stuff, so you'd or, or just rights to intellectual property. Like there wasn't nearly as much legislation around that, so like you'd get random stuff like that. Yeah, and I mean it was Konami obviously was still behind, I guess, the money or whatever with the NES version, but the MSX version is is the true original. The NES version is considered by many of the fans to be kind of an aberration at this point. Uh, and Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake, uh, which is the sequel, was only on MSX. And uh, it was apparent why from playing them both. I mean, people die in them. Snake smokes cigarettes in them. Uh, you know, little things here and there that Nintendo of America definitely would not have ever let fly uh, on their on their consoles. But I played the first two Metal Gears, and have you have you played the Metal Gears games at all? You know, I haven't. Um, everybody tells me that it's a series that I should play, and for some reason, I just can't get into it. I was the exact same way. I remember I played the demo when I got Final Fantasy VII in the late nineties. The disc came with a demo of Metal Gear Solid, and I played about 10 minutes of it, and I couldn't get past, like, the first screen. And I was just like, this is stupid, and I didn't touch it again until 2008, I want to say, or 2009, early 2009, and... It was winter time, and I just said to my my roommate owned the first you know Metal Gear Solid one, two, and three, and I I was like you know everybody always talks about it, I'll give it a shot, blah blah blah, played them and uh, they're good, they're good. I mean, my biggest turnoff to be honest is that they're stealth games, or at least I was under the impression they were stealth games, and I I. It is one of my kind of least favorite genres of games. But didn't you play Deus Ex? I did, but Deus Ex can be played in a non-stealth way, um, and I, I don't know. It it felt like Deus Ex felt like there were enough paths to where it was very obvious where you were where you needed to go to not get into a lot of fights. From what I've heard about the Metal Gear games, it seems like it's really easy to be spotted in them. Some of them, but you get a radar. I mean, you get a radar if if you pay attention well, to the radar. Well, thank God. <laughs> You get a radar. I am... What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not particularly strategic and patient all the time. So I, I die somewhat regularly in these games because I kind of plow through a lot of stuff. I, sure. You know, if you're patient at all... I, I, I don't know. I think you would honestly probably be better at them than I am. I would love to live stream some of this. If I can get this PC, this PC should be arriving... Very soon, uh, and I'm hoping to stream a lot of Metal Gear in the near future. But, um, yeah, I just... Uh... 
Now, the, now the gameplay has never really been the draw for people to Metal Gear, right? Again, I don't know anything about the series, but I have heard that it's got one of the most batch crazy stories of any series ever. It is the most convoluted story probably in any video game. And it, does, it doesn't start out that way. It's interesting because – so Metal Gear, the, the original Metal Gear, you get through it. Okay, cool. Makes sense. Metal Gear 2. I got through it. I'm like, okay, cool. This makes sense. And this is my first time playing through the first two Metal Gear games, right? I played through Metal Gear Solid 1 through 3 or 1 through 4, but I never played the originals. So I played the originals. I'm like, okay, this, this doesn't shed a ton of light on anything I didn't already know about these characters or about the storyline. But okay, like I played them and, and looking at them through the lens of I've never played this before – or heard of this before, makes sense. Boom makes sense, boom makes sense. Metal Gear Solid made sense. Near the end, there were one or two quick lines that were kind of like, okay, that's weird, but it made sense. Metal Gear Solid 2 gets really weird. Like, really weird. Starts bringing in a lot of characters and tying things together in weird places, and then there's this huge government conspiracy involved, this international government conspiracy, and by the end of the game, I was quite confused. And then Metal Gear Solid 3 is a is a, an a, actually a prequel to all of the Metal Gear games. Goes back to the past. And by and large, that one makes a whole lot of sense on its own. Metal, okay. Metal Gear Sol Solid 3 is by far my favorite in the series. It was the most emotional ending I think I've seen in video games. Aside from maybe Final Fantasy IX, I would say probably. Yeah. It was, I mean, it's, it's a... That ending... Holy shit, dude. Like, it... Yeah. It's good. Uh, so, Metal Gear Solid 3, a whole lot of good. And then Metal Gear Solid 4 just kind of ties everything together. And it does it really well, but unless you've really recently played its predecessors and you remember, like, kind of a lot of things, it's kind of hard to follow exactly what's going on and exactly who everyone is. Because the way Kojima writes is he's one of those guys that likes everything to kind of tie together and fit neatly together. So basically, every government in the world has been run by, like, three different families slash groups of people. And he's also the writer on these games? I believe so. Okay, right on. Uh, he's heavily involved with the production of it, so I don't know. Sure, who knows? But um, but yeah. So it's it's like you'll beat one game, and then in the next game you'll find out, oh, that character you killed was my father. Like at the end of that game, so it's a big plot twist. And then at the end of the next game, you know, in the prequel, you find out like, oh, this person's grandson is somebody I killed in the last Metal Gear game. And then in Metal Gear Solid 4, you find out somebody from the prequel uh, grew up, became corrupt, and became part of this evil group that basically runs the world that you've been chasing after since Metal Gear Solid 2. And it just, everything, like, fits in this ridiculous little kind of basket. So everyone is interconnected in some weird way. And uh, so it's kind of brilliant. It's it's never really tedious or bad at any points, but it's 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 a Game of Thrones. It's like the video game Game of Thrones, which I'm just gonna say about every video game at this point. Yeah, that kind of sounds that way. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. Um, but I will say um, the game mechanics are really similar in in the Metal Gear Solid games. Uh, they add a couple new features in, in every one, which is good. What it was interesting to me is that when I played the original Metal Gear, it felt like I was playing Metal Gear Solid, only with 8-bit graphics. 
Which is kind of cool. It was very cool because everything from uh, the way that enemies see you to the alert system, like when you get seen, you basically get uh, run after by a whole bunch of bad guys, which is never fun, um, to the alert system, to the items, uh they're really similar, and it was it was kind of funny. I was just like, I bet I'm better at Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2 because I feel like I've already kind of played them. Sounds like that game; those games might have been way ahead of their time then. Oh, because Metal Gear Solid was pretty highly regarded as a as one of like the best PlayStation games that there was. Yeah. Um, and so if the original games had kind of the same systems implemented, I would I would say they're probably a little ahead of their time. Oh, especially Metal Gear 2. Metal Gear 2, you've got a radar in the top of your screen with, like, enemy dots on it. I mean, just seeing anything like that on the NES never would have happened. Um, So, yeah, they were really impressive. And um, in the first and second Metal Gears, there were only a couple times where I had to use the internet because there were a couple parts that were Nintendo hard, as I like to call it. Which means you have to do something that there's no possible way you would ever figure out. Like punching a wall. Like in Castlevania 2. Yes, like Castlevania 2. Or even even The Legend of Zelda, when you had yeah. to walk, push into a wall for three seconds until you walk through it. Yep. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So there were a couple Nintendo hard parts. And the one thing that kind of pisses me off about the Legacy Collection is in... The first two Metal Gear games and Metal Gear Solid, at specific points in the dialogue, uh, you, you, can, you communicate with your team via codec, uh, so you put in a frequency and your radio kind of dials up and you can talk to people through your frequency. In all three of those games, in the in-game dialogue, they say, oh, the person's frequency is on the back of the CD case, or it's in the instruction manual, check it out. So, obviously, if you own this game on PlayStation, you're supposed to check the CD case because the frequency is on the back. Well, it's not f***ing printed anywhere on the Legacy Collection. Really? Why couldn't they have just put it on the back of the box? So where do you go to find that? The internet. Are you kidding me? That's f***ed up. Isn't that stupid? Like, why don't you just f***ing put in... And it comes with a 50-page, like, art book. Are these are these things that you have to do to progress the game? Yes. Oh, that's bad. That's well, me. Um, I think in at least one case, I can't confirm all cases. De- definitely Metal Gear Solid. You have to because Meryl's frequency is in the back, uh, and you have to contact her to go to the next step at one point. That's the worst kind of. Um, that's the worst kind of. Re- not remake, but. Um, Whatever this is. What, what is this, a re-release? Re-release. Yeah. yeah, that's the worst kind of re-release, where they don't change literally anything. Because that was like an archaic form of DRM. Yeah, pretty much. No, that's what it was. I mean, that was an archaic form of DRM. It's why it's why in the Star Tropics game for Nintendo, there was a code in like level 7 that you had to enter that was on like the 40th page of the instruction manual. Like, it's there to ensure that you own the game. PC wow. games used to do that all the time. Really? Yeah, they used to have... I mean, they used to have codes in the front of the CD cases, or they used to have codes in the middle of the books. They used to be super common. <laughs> um, but when you re-release a game like this, you go into the game code and you erase those because they don't exist anymore. Yeah. So, like, that's f***ed up. Like, that's 
And I mean, if they didn't want to put the, I, I don't even care if they still say check the back of the CD case, but put it on the f***ing back of the CD case. Like, in context, it's fine. They still have an instruction book. They still have a CD case. Fine, keep the DRM. Don't change the dialogue. I literally don't care. But put the frequency on there. Like, that really annoyed me. Um, that I had to, like, stop playing the game, pull out my phone, and Google the frequency. It was just annoying. Yeah, it's messed up. So that that was the only, like, really annoying part, and a couple of the Nintendo hard parts. Um, I won't go into, like, a really in-depth review of the first two games, uh, but I will say that the this, you know, the stealth action is... It holds up surprisingly well. Metal Gear 1, a couple times I was kind of like, all right, I... I just let me keep progressing like I'm ready for this game to be over. Metal Gear 2 really kind of pulled me in. Metal Gear 2 is hard to put down. So, um, you know, for an 8-bit game, if you're looking for a good retro experience, I mean, God, I wish these games were available when we were growing up because these are would have been two of the most fun, like, in-depth games that you, that you or I would have ever played. Sure. Because of just the the number of items you get and the communication via codec and stuff like that. Like, they're really... They they were definitely ahead of their time. So, um, you know, I'm a Metal Gear Solid fan, so I would recommend picking up the Legacy Collection for sure. Um, John, you should check it out at some point. I'm sure you will. How much will. is it? I mean, how much is it to get a giant collection like that? Yeah, Legacy Collection, 60 bucks. Comes with the first two Metal Gear games, Metal Gear Solid 1, 2, 3, and 4. Uh, 4 being a PS3 release, so that's on its own disc. Uh, you also get Metal Gear Solid VR missions. Um, in the first, one of the first couple minutes of the game in Metal Gear Solid, uh, Snake mentions that he did uh, VR training aboard a ship, I believe, on the way to his assignment. And this is, the VR missions are just like 300 virtual reality missions where you have to just like sneak by guards. They're short little kind of mini puzzle action deals. Uh, I played a little bit of that. It's, I mean, it's fun. It's fine. It's nothing I, I feel like I have to play because there's no story involved. Um, and it apparently also comes with oh, Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, which was on PSP originally. Uh, so I have not played that. And I think there are a couple other like weird French titles on there that were like mobile games or something. But I, I don't know what they are. But there's two weird names on the back that I don't understand. But sure. for 60 bucks, it's a pretty good deal. Yeah, no, that sounds pretty good. I mean, it's it's definitely worth it. It comes with a little art book. I don't really care about it. It's like the retrospective of Metal Gear. It's, it's whatever. But um, I would recommend getting it. Um, and and I would say that the older games hold up. And I'll give a more comprehensive review of the Metal Gear Solid, uh, the first four in the Metal Gear Solid series, once I've played through all of those. But check our Twitch TV channel at twitch.tv slash unqualifiedpodcast to see... If I stream any of those games, because that's probably going to happen soon. Okay, that sounds good. What are you going to be streaming? What have you been streaming? I stream, so I stream a lot of Awesome Nuts. Okay. Um, Is that the Yuri one out of four or whatever? Yeah, yeah. That's so. That's when when it's announced on your Twitter. That's tip. That's what I'm playing there. Um, so I'll stream Awesome Nuts sessions that I do a lot. Again, I streamed all of Bastion. Um, I stream Torchlight Two when I'm playing that. Um, so there's a few different things uh, that I stream. I'd like to stream pretty much whatever I can, um, yeah. as long as I can get it working. So yeah. 
but you can find a link to all of that stuff um, on our that's all on our Tumblr page and our Google Plus page, right? Yeah, Google Plus page is awesome. I love it. Our Tumblr page actually has not linked to Twitch TV yet, so well, I will do that after this. Then find everything about us at our Google Plus page, which is so Google Plus doesn't allow you to customize your URLs yet. It's kind of annoying. So right now it's plus.google.com slash like 01489679, some bullshit. Okay, so, so don't go to that website. Just go to Google Plus and look for Unqualified a Video yeah, Game Podcast. Yeah, search for Unqualified a Video Game Podcast on Google Plus. Please add us to your circles and please share with your friends um, if you like our stuff because like we're trying to kind of establish our home base there because we really like Google Plus. It's very interactive. And uh, videogamepodcast.tumblr.com, of course, is where you can find all of our podcasts uh, for the time being, which is fine. Which is great. I guess. Uh, I'm also going to probably be streaming the Bioshock Infinite DLC. Have you heard about that? I do. I actually have it because I bought the season pass. I just haven't broken into it yet. But Uh, if you know anything about it, it is an arena DLC. Now, when is the Rapture one coming out? I don't think they've given a release date yet. Oh, they haven't? Okay, okay. Because that one I'm interested in. You have to let me know how that Battle Arena one goes, because I felt there was a uh, disappointing lack of, like, really in-depth combat in that game. I I didn't love the combat in Bioshock Infinite, I don't think. Sure. Um, Because I I just never felt like it, it was a focus. I felt like it was more a means to an end, and I felt the story was... What's the focus? Which you're probably—I mean, you're probably right. That's probably kind of how it was. But it's interesting for me to say that because I love The Last of Us, and you could probably say the same about The Last of Us. But I liked The Last of Us's combat system. Well, it's different because it's survival horror. So I don't—I don't know. I don't it know doesn't the, matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Just let me know how the DLC is. All right, it's your job. All right, I will let you know how the DLC is. Yeah, enjoy now that. that you've given me a task, right? Because I make you do this podcast, so I might as well. <laughs> require me to be here for this (laughs) damn podcast yeah man that you hate doing so much god i hate doing this podcast god uh so yeah so thank you for joining us again all of the information on our google plus page and uh it was good listener it was good it was good talking to you today hey remember that time john was like remember that time john was like i hate doing this damn podcast thanks for listening listener we'll uh we'll see you next time on the npr radio edition of uh unqualified video game podcast brought to you by mountain dew uh brought to you by logitech mouses and keyboards logitech coming to a theater near you soon uh dedicating this podcast to the uh song of ice and fire series which is a uh, book by the uh honorable george robert Robert Martin, uh, not to be confused. With, I don't think I don't think both names are Robert. I don't think that's right. Not to be confused with uh, Jim Ross, Robert Tolkien. Uh, not to be confused with Keenan from Keenan and Kelt, uh, the only surviving cast member of Saturday Night Live, season one hundred and ninety-eight. I don't think any of that information was right. I don't think any of it, none of it, zero percent. <laughs> <laughs>